good morning. If you'd grab your Bible and turn to the book of Colossians, uh, we're going to get into our message today. Um, we're in the five part, uh, part five of this series called Prisoner's Blog, and we're basically walking through this uh, prison epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae as he was chained in a Roman jail awaiting trial before Caesar for his faith in Jesus Christ. And if you were to take that first century epistle and kind of drop into the 21st century, it probably would have read more like a blog. That's our prisoner's blog title. And today we're talking about do's and don'ts. And we're in a passage of scripture here in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, all the way through chapter 3, verse 11, that we're going to kind of go through today. And um, we have a lot of do's and don'ts in our world. And, and, I, and we tend to, as people, like certain rules and regulations. Well, let me say it this way. If we're making the rules, we like the rules and regulations. If we're receiving the rules, we don't like them. Is that fair enough? You remember when you were like in the third grade and you had a club and you had all these rules, right? You had certain rules that you had to have in your club. Maybe I'm the only one that did that. Okay, in my childhood, I had a club and it was a fort. And, and one of the rules was you had to be a guy. You couldn't be a girl because we didn't like girls. They had cooties, right? Circle, circle, dot, dot. Now I got my cootie shot. Anybody else in the room? Okay, so, so you make these rules, and when we make rules, we typically tend to make rules based on our strengths, not our weaknesses. Have you noticed that? When we make our rules, it's based upon our points of strengths, not our weaknesses. And typically, we tend to focus on other people's weaknesses and, and our strengths in, in making rules, and, and, uh, and we don't like it if we're on the receiving end. And most rules, if you notice, that we kind of put together, over time, they can begin to sound silly uh, and begin to become completely disconnected. If you're not careful. And so kind of in, in, in the whole flavor of this service today, I, I pulled up just some random laws that are still on the books, that are still legislated laws in various states uh, in the United States. And it's just kind of interesting. In the, in the state of Florida, a woman can be fined for falling asleep under a hairdryer. True. In Indiana, citizens are not allowed to attend a movie theater or ride in a public streetcar, that tells you how old this is, within four hours after eating garlic. It's an actual law. In Illinois, uh, in Eureka, Illinois, a man with a mustache may not kiss a woman. It's, it's, it's a law right now. And I'm not making this stuff up. In Moline, Illinois, ice skating, I love this one, at the Riverside Pond during the months of June and August is strictly prohibited. You can, however, ice skate in July. It doesn't say anything against it in the law. In normal Illinois, it's against the law to make a face at a dog. In Wisconsin, in the dairy state, did you know that at one time, in order to help the sale of butter, that margarine was illegal? Okay, now going on with this, it was against, it's still, it's against the law to serve apple pie in public restaurants if there's no cheese on top of it. In order to promote dairy. Right? So, so again, the, you kind of look at it. Nicholas County, West Virginia, a clergy is not allowed to tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit. That's why I didn't plant a church in Nicholas County, West Virginia. <laughs> so you go on and on. And, and the Bible warns us of making up rules and regulations that are man's rules and man's regulations and getting away from God's word. And that's where we pick up today in Colossians chapter 2. Verse number 16 through 23. That's going to be on the screen for you in just a second. Uh, you can also follow along. Uh, there's an outline on the back side of your bulletin. But let's begin to read Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. For these are a shadow of the things that were to come, and the reality, however, is found in Christ. Now let me explain that for just a second. 
In the Old Testament, there were dietary laws and restrictions according to the Old Testament law that man had to follow. There were certain celebrations and feasts and festivals that you had to follow in order to keep your relationship right with God. When Jesus Christ comes onto the scene in the first century, he fulfills these, these, these requirements. So the law, the Old Testament Levitical law that's being referred to here in verse 16 and 17, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Thus, as a Christ follower, you fulfill all the dietary, all the celebrations, all the religious festivals through Jesus Christ. And what was happening, though, in this first century church is that there were people that were going, no, 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 you still have to keep the dietary restrictions. You still have to eat this and drink this, and you can't do this, and you can do this. You can't walk on the sidewalk at 2 o'clock on Saturday. There were all these rules from the Old Testament, and, and Paul was saying here, look, these were a shadow. All of these festivals, dietary restrictions, all these things were a shadow of things that were to come, which is Christ. But when Jesus Christ came and he... 100% God, 100% man, lived a sinless life on this planet, died on the cross for our sins. When he said, it is finished, it's finished. So there's no longer these need for all of these, in a religious sense, a need for these celebrations or whatever. Now, culturally, that's fine, but, but we're no longer under those laws. Let's continue to read on. It says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility uh, and the worship of angels disqualify you for the price for, for heaven. For such a person who basically, who delights in false humility and worships angels, goes into a great deal about what they've seen. An unspiritual mind puffs them up with idle notions. Uh, for he's lost connection with the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews and grows as God causes it to grow. Now, let me explain this real quick, too. What was happening in the first century was that there were people, and this isn't anything that's new, that were saying, hey, I've got a corner market on God. I've got this special anointing. I've got this special deal. I've got this special there. There's, there's, there's more to this thing than, and there, there's, it's extra, and it, there, there's more that they're not teaching you. Almost kind of like there's something happening in the back room that you need to be, to be a part of in order to have this relationship with God or to help this. And we as people, we like to be zapped. Um, we, we, we like to be like, we, we would love to not have to go through the process of change and transformation, the renewing of our mind according to God's word. We'd much rather, like this, I would much rather, instead of eating right and going on a treadmill, I'd just much rather someone's got the gift of weight loss just to come and lay hands on me, and I'm going to hold my pants. Just take 25 off right around here on the muffin top. You know what I'm talking about? It's okay, you can laugh. I'm, I'm all right with it. And, and, just, and just, let the, just let the pounds be melted away. And Paul's saying, look, what's happening is there's guys that are going around and they have all these special powers they say they have. And they have all these special connections and they have all this special stuff. And, and so they're saying, hey, you need to come and, and sit under my teaching and listen to me. And here's what they're doing. They're praying to angels. Not much different than today where people pray to saints and they pray to angels. And the problem with that, again, don't get mad at me. The problem with that is, is that when you are praying to a created being, you're displacing the creator. When you began to pray to a dead, a dead religious person, you began to pray to a saint, you began to pray to an angel, you're not praying to God. And Jesus Christ said, look, man, that, that you can boldly go to the throne of grace and obtain mercy anytime that you need it. You can directly come to me. You don't have to have a rabbi, a teacher, a priest, or a pastor, or a minister to confess your sins to. You can come directly to me and confess your sins. And I am faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have another intermediary. The only intermediary that you need is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so what was happening is, is that they were saying, hey, we've got these special powers. We're praying to angels, and we're connected, and we've got this special thing. Can I just tell you something? 
Paul says, stay away from these people. Watch out for these people. Watch out, because they're adding to Scripture. They're, they're adding to what's happening. They're, they're, they're going on. But let, let me put it in context today. In our context today, there are sometimes people will elevate the vessel over, over the person that's filling the vessel. They'll, they'll, they will elevate like, um, we do this sometimes. We elevate Mary to deity, and she's not deity. I don't mean to make you mad. I don't mean to make you upset. But she was a person just like you and I. And you go, oh, don't mess with Mary, man. You can do a lot of things. Just don't. No, 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 no. I'm out there, so we're skating on this one. Here's the deal. She was a person just like you, just like Abraham, just like David, just like Noah, a person that was used by God, just like the disciples, just like the apostle Paul, but still a person. She had to be. If she was deity, Jesus Christ wouldn't have been clothed in humanity. She had to be a, a, a human. She had to be humanity. And she played a special role. Sure, she did. We honor her for that. But we don't elevate her. We don't pray to her. She's no longer our, our, our intermediate area. It's Jesus Christ. We go directly to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to pray to created beings because that's what she is. She's a created being. And anytime you pray to a created being, you are displacing the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And you are no longer praying to the creator. You're praying to the created being. You're no longer praying to God. You're praying to man. You're no longer, and that becomes a very dangerous place. And so Paul says, watch out and be careful for people that come in and say, well, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that. Go, well, this is the way I was taught. I'm just saying chapter and verse, this is what it says. Now let's move right along because I've ticked half the crowd off. Okay, here we go. Verse 20, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why though do you still belong to it? Don't submit to its rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands. That's the problem with our rules and regulations. And on human teachings. Such regulations indeed have, the, have an appearance of wisdom. Have you noticed how sometimes things sound really spiritual? But they're self-imposed worship and they're false humility and they're harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. That word any means no, nada, zip, zero, big fat goose egg. There's no value to it. So Paul says, here's what he says. Do not be, first of all, legalistic. Don't be legalistic. It's in your notes. Don't be legalistic. Legalism is all about me. It's the fact that I'm living up to the rules. I'm living up to the regulations. I, I mean, call me butter, I'm on a roll. I mean, I, I have it all together, right? Have you ever met people like that? And they just kind of look at you like, they just kind of look down on you because they're living it. Uh, they, they don't, you know, uh, smoke, cuss, chew, or great date girls that do. I mean, they, they just, they kind of, they just have this whole, they feel like they have this whole corner market on who they are. Legalism can be defined as a strict adherence to the law, to the word. Specifically as it relates to faith. Against the legalist is one who believes, listen to this, that performance is a way to gain favor with God. And we know that's not true. It's by grace that we're saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any of us would boast. Legalism is a human attempt to gain salvation or to prove our spirituality by outward conformity to a list of religious do's and don'ts. It's often disguised in, in Christian terms and behavior. Legalism is all about me living up, all about what I'm doing, all about how I'm living up to the law, and all about what I'm doing. And Paul says, be very, very, very careful that you never become legalistic, that you never become a person who defines yourself by what you're doing for God, that you never become a person that defines yourself by the fact that you're executing Scripture to, to, to the letter of the law. 
Because I don't know if you've ever felt like this. There are times where you're walking out this Christian walk, you find yourself going, dude, I am really, like, I'm doing good. You know, man, I mean, I'm, I'm at church. Boom, I get a gold star and a box of Mars bars. I'm at church, right? Come on, let's just talk where we are. I've been bringing the tithe. Come on, man, I'm just, Jesus loves me. I'm giving and going and missions. I'm, I'm doing all this. I'm in a life group. Hallelujah. I mean, I'm it, right? And I'm in this sweet spot. And all of a sudden, we can begin to think more of ourselves than what we ought. And here's what it's like. It's, this Christian walk is kind of like a Tupperware dish, right? You know, you got all three corners down, and you're burping the fourth one, getting ready to put it down. And all of a sudden, another corner goes, boop, and it pops up. I mean, you blow it, right? You lose it in traffic on 43. You just beep, beep, beep. I mean, you're, and that's not your horn going off. You know what I'm talking about? You lose it. You lose it with your kids. You lose it at your job. You, you wake up on a Sunday morning and go, I just don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like serving God today. You, a group of old friends come through and you go back to your old ways and all of a sudden you feel like you fall off the wagon. Paul says, be careful that you don't become legalistic, that you think you're all that in a bag of chips and a little Debbie cake. Secondly, that's, that's in the Aaron Cole version, okay? <laughs> Secondly, he says, don't be judgmental. Do not, do not be judgmental. Judgmental is all about you. Legalism is all about me, what I'm doing. Being judgmental is all about you, what you're not doing. It's, it's the fact that you're not living up to the rules. You're not living up to the regulations. You're not following the word. I'm following the word, but you're not. And he says, be very careful that you become judgmental of other people. That you become judgmental of other Christ followers. That you become this. Um... This, this is interesting to me because we as Christians, for some reason, really like to become judgmental of the world that we live in. And I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It goes all the way back to, 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 to the first sin that we want to be like God. We want to be king of the mountain. And so we like to look down at other people and we like to point out their faults and their failures and we like to do this. And, and what's interesting about scripture is that Jesus said that he called us to be fishers of men. Uh, and, but he never called us to clean the fish. He just called us to catch the fish. He called us to be fishers of men, not cleaners of men. But we like that cleaning part. But can I tell you, that cleaning part is reserved for the Holy Spirit. Now, like, I like to fish. I mean, but if I'm with someone that knows what they're doing, because I have no clue what I'm doing, right? And, 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 and it's fun to go with someone who knows where the fish are, where they're biting at the right time of the day. Of course, I have a lot of food with me. And, and, and going and having a good time, and then you're catching fish, and it's doing this and that, and they strike the bait, and the whole deal, and it's great, and you pull in everything else. And when, but when I get done with catching the fish, I hate cleaning fish. I don't care whether you want to fillet them, whether you want to stake them, whatever you want to do with them, I don't like it. Now, I love the catching part, and I love the eating part. Mmm, holla, holla. I love to eat me some fish, right? And, but I don't like the cleaning part. But some reason, when it comes to spirituality, we love the cleaning part of it. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Do not be judgmental. Don't judge these people on, well, they're keeping this observance, and they're doing this, and they're doing this, this person doing this, and what you're eating and what you're drinking. It's not our place to judge. My dad got saved when he was 25, and... Uh, Gave his life to Christ when he was 25 and, and, and made a radical change in his life. He wasn't raised in church. He had gone into the military during the Vietnam era and was stationed in Europe and um, came back home and, and went to church and gave his life to Christ. And, and I asked him, I said, was that your first encounter with church? He said, no, actually, I was a senior in high school playing football, and I was all district and all of that and, and uh, wanted to give my life to Christ. And the pastor said that if I was going to do that, that because football was fun, it was sin, 40 years ago, everything that was fun was sin. And that, and that the clothing, the outfits were immodest because of how tight the pants fit. And so I was going to have to give up football if I was going to serve Jesus. 
And he said, <laughs> being an all-American kid, went, man, I'll get saved later. I'm gonna, I can't play football the rest of my life. So he said, I decided to, and I thought, and we listened to that, and he go, how absurd. But that's how people lived, and they had all these rules and regulations. You got to come in, you got to cut your hair, you got to quit this, you got to quit that, you got to quit this, got to quit that. Paul says, be careful that you don't become the judgment committee, that you don't become judgmental, and start beginning to speak down to people, because when that happens, people will walk out of faith, and they'll walk out of church, and they'll go, I don't want any part of that, because all those people do is judge me. And judging you doesn't make, being a judge doesn't make you more holy. You're actually trying to usurp God's authority in doing that. Paul goes on to say, do not become an elitist. Don't be an elitist. And that's about we. Legalism is about me. Judgmental is about you. Elitist is about we. We have a corner market on God. We have a corner market on church. We've got something nobody else has. We are this and you're not. No, 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 no. I mean, that's kind of the attitude. And churches can have that kind of a feel where we're we're the only church unless you're part of this church. And can I tell you something? That will kill you. Because all these things, legalism, judgmental, elitism, they all spell religious. They're religion. And religion kills. Religion does not say religion kills. Religion is man's remedy for Jesus Christ. Religious, being religious tends to make us think that others are religious and we're okay. And if you're sitting here today and you're going, yeah, I'm not that way, I'm not that way, you probably are. Let me rewind that tape. If you're sitting here and you're hearing everything that I'm saying and there's nothing about you that goes, you know what, you probably, if you're a Christ follower, you're probably with your arms folded, not not physically, but but you're sitting there in in just a stature of, you know what, I'm, I'm, you I got the corner market on this. I don't need to hear this. I, I don't have to have this. I don't whatever. I, we, legalism, religion may, is highly contagious. That's the reason why Jesus Christ dealt with it so harshly with the religious leaders of the day and the gospels. Because he knew how contagious and how viral and how destructive that religion could be. Religion takes a vibrant faith and it makes it dull and lifeless. Religion produces large quantities of self-righteousness, judgment, and condemnation. Religious makes, religion makes us narrow and divisive because everybody has to agree and everybody has to be like me. And can I tell you they don't? That's the good news. You don't all, we can just agree to disagree. You may be sitting here and go, you know what? I mean, I agree with what you're saying with what the Bible says, but some of the applications, I may have a disagreement. Fine, you don't have to agree with me on everything. Lord, help us all, right? And, 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 and some of you go, well, I know, I just thought that there's like, can I just tell you, when we get to heaven, I think Jesus Christ, marriage suffer the lamb about three and a half years in, is going to push back from the table fold his arms and smile and says, you guys, you Arminianist and you Calvinist, you thought you had your corner market on how I, how I approach salvation and theology? I'm fixing to mess everything up. You're all wrong. I mean, I just think it's just going to be, there's just going to be some things we're just going to go. We, we thought it was this way and it was this way and we're doing our very best. And, and I just, I'm just telling you, religion makes us narrow and divisive. Religion makes it impossible for people to see Jesus because they don't see a savior, they see a drill sergeant. And that's not what Jesus Christ came to do. And Paul says, do not be this way. Now, he goes on, though, in chapter 3, verse 11, verses 1 through 11, says, here's the way I do want you to be. Let's read this in verse 1. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ... Where you, who, who is your life, appears, you also appear with him in glory. So speaking of eternity. Verse 5. 
Put to death, however, whatever belongs to this earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is adultery, because these things, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all these things, anger, rage, malice, filthy language. Um, do not lie to one another since you've taken off your old self, You've given your life to Jesus Christ and all of its practices. You've put on the new self. You're, you're, you're new in Jesus Christ, which, been, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator, which is Jesus. And verse 11, now there, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Again, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, again, in the original language, and, uh, there are word pictures and the first thing he shows us in verse, verses 1 through 4 is he wants us to put on, like you would put on new clothes, like you would go buy a new suit of clothes or a new outfit. I want you to put on two things. First of all, he says you need to be focused on the eternal, not the internal. Be focused on the eternal, not the internal, verses 1 and 2. Don't get your mind all wrapped up on the temporal things, the internal things, the things that you're thinking about i got to go over here, i got to deal with this, i got to go do this, i got to go do that. What's going to happen with the market here? What about retirement? What about the kids' college fund? What about the car? i got to get the car fixed. How am I going to pay for this? Should we buy this house? Should we not buy this house? Should we move this neighborhood? Do we do this? Do we do that? Do I take this job? Do I take this promotion? What about this? i got this client next week. He says, don't be focused. Set your mind on things above, on the eternal. Why? Because Matthew 6.21 says that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Matthew 6.33 goes on in that same chapter and says, So seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, this vertical relationship with God, then all these things, all the things you're dealing with, the temporary things in life, will be added unto you. God has no problem with all these things. He just wants to be numero uno in your life. He wants to be number one in your life. He wants to be supreme in your life. And when your mind is set on Him, He takes care of these other things. It's been very interesting the last, couple of, uh, last several days to watch our response to Chile and, and to the earthquake that's going on. Because two things are happening. Number one, we're realizing that we can't solve all, all the world's ills with our problem, with our money. I mean, Haiti got a ton of money. Chile is fractional compared to what Haiti got. And there'll be another natural disaster, not that I'm foretelling that, but I'm just saying that it will happen. Because the Bible says in the last days there'll be wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and things are going to happen. Because this earth is groaning out because of the sin that it's having to bear. It's not created to work this way. Read Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. And the reality is, is that we can't fix the world's problems with our money. When I was in Kenya and I'm in the feeding lines and I'm at the schools with these children and the orphanages, the hope wasn't the meal. The hope wasn't the clean water. Not that we should not do those things because we should because it's hard to hear about Jesus on an empty stomach. But the hope that was in their eyes was Jesus Christ. And so, and, and, and that, that's the good news of the gospel is that God loves us. He has a plan for us, that he'll save us, that he'll take care of us. And even though this world may be racked with sin and with pain and with struggle, that there is a place where we will cry no more, we will hurt no more, and that place is eternal. It's not temporal like this place is. And Paul says, put your mind on things above. I've seen people the last couple of weeks just really freak out. I got a phone call this past week, and it was, you know, what about this? You're saying the San Andreas fault line and this fault line. This could happen in America. What would happen if this happened? Whoa, 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 whoa. What does the word say? Uh, I don't know. You need to quit watching the news and turn it off and go back to the word. The word says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and a love and of a sound mind. The Bible says that, that confusion comes from Satan. 
That's what it says. He's the author of confusion. And the only thing that we're to fear is God himself, Proverbs 1.7, and that the fear of God is the beginning of all, of, of, of all wisdom. So that means this, that I don't walk in fear, I don't live in fear, I don't operate in fear, but I operate in power and love and of a sound mind because I don't operate in myself, I operate in him. My mind is not fixed on the internal, it's fixed on the eternal. My mind is not fixated on things that I can't control, which is what the internal things are. All those things that you worry about, psychologists tell us that 70% of what we worry about never comes to pass. Well, why do we worry? Because we're wired that way. It's the default nature that we have. It's this emotional thing that we have. And that's what the Bible, that's the reason the Bible keeps going, hey, Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone, McFly, right here it is. You don't have to worry about those things. That's the reason why we as Christ followers should be the most fearless, most optimistic people on the planet. Because we know even in death, there is life. There's no downside. Now, I don't mean to be morbid. I'm not trying to be a sadist. I'm not trying to be like, oh, I just want to die and just go to heaven and Jesus take the wheel. No, man, there's golf courses I want to play and restaurants I want to eat. And I want to see my girls grow up and do all those things. There's, there's, there's all kinds of things that I want to do in this world. But the reality is I'm not going to walk in fear. I'm not going to step on an airplane and go, oh, it may fall and it may crash. And I'm in this metal tube and I'm in the middle of the air with 30,000 feet. And what will that feel like? And oh, give me some more Xanax. Why? Because I don't need to fear. And you go, well, that's easy for you to say. No, it's what the word says. Paul says, focus on the eternal, not on the internal. He goes on to say, focus on Christ's power, not yours. Focus on Christ's power, not yours. Colossians teaches us that if we, get the, if we get Jesus right in our lives, then everything else will follow. Because Jesus is supreme. He's number one. He's the son of the living God. This is what I love about following Jesus. It, it's not about me. It's about God. It's not about my, my will. It's about his will. It's not about me having all, all, the, all the answers. It's about him. And if I will focus on Christ's power, he will help me. Some of you are trying to live this Christian life. And the word of God for you today is just to trust in Jesus. Quit trying and begin to trust. Some of you are running. Man, you're running so hard. You're trying to do so much. And you're trying, to, you're trying with your own works and your own power to please God. And the word of God to you today is quit running and begin to rest in Jesus. I tell the staff all the time, don't let the work of God kill the work of God in you. Because I can do so much. I can spend my life. And at the end of it, I have nothing to show for it because I've allowed ministry to kill what God wants to do in me. And that's not what God calls us to do. It's his power through us. That's the reason why Jesus said in, in, in the book of John that if you abide in me and I abide in you, you can ask what you will and you'll have it. Why? Because, because when you're in me and I'm in you, it's not you living. It's me living through you. It's, it's, it's not I that live. It's Christ that lives because I have died. I have come to an end. Aaron Cole ceased to exist. And Jesus Christ walks and lives that way. And when that's called, that's a lordship issue. And when you really come to that place where the power of God's working through your life, you'll live this life out. You'll love your spouse. you love your kids. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. You're, you're going to love God. You're going to serve him. And all the internal struggles that you have with giving yourself to him. Because some of you, you have, you have internal struggles about giving finances. It's because there's a lordship issue in your life. Because if it's all his and he asked for it for you to give it to a missionary or to help someone across the street or across the way, what's the big deal? What's the big stinking deal? There is no deal because it's his. If my life is his, then why am I going, well, I just don't know if I've got time and if I want to. No, it's his. If, 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 if my devotion is his, then why do I struggle so to read my Bible and to pray on a daily basis? Because I still think it's my life. I still think it's my thing. You have to understand this. 
That's the reason why Jesus Christ says that before you follow me, count the cost. Oh, salvation's free. The grace of God is for everyone. The good news of the gospel is that God can come in and change your life. But the key to it is you have to come to the end of you. And if you're not willing to come to the end of you, you need to walk out those doors and do something else with your Sunday morning because you're better off. You're better off to go to Cracker Barrel and have biscuits and gravy. And wow, does that not sound good right now? Than you are to sit here and listen to me because this is not going to get you into heaven. This isn't going to get you a greater spot in heaven. This can send you straight to hell. Because you can sit there and think you're all great with God because you're showing up at church, because you're giving money off, because you're doing this. And God says, I don't want any of your money. I don't want all I want you. And when you have to come to the end of you, then my son, Jesus Christ, can live through you. And when he lives through you, he'll live that God life, and you'll be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying there. Ooh, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Okay, he goes on to say in verse 5, it's another word picture, I want you to put off some dirty clothes. I want you to put off some filthy rags. I used to love playing football or any outside sport when it was, like, rainy and it was muddy because you could just get, like, muddy, you know? And even if you were sitting on the bench, man, you could just jump in the mud and just roll around. Maybe that's a guy thing. I don't know. And then you bring home your clothes, and they were white. They used to be white. Now they're all grimy. Your mom's got to clean them. It was great. And he says, I want you to put off dirty clothes. I want you to put these things off, and I want you to be dead to sin. Verse 5 says, be dead to sin. He makes no bones about this. And the key to being dead to sin, I put this in your notes, it's a daily decision. Being dead to sin is a daily decision. It's not a one-time decision, it's a daily decision. Warren Wiersbe, who is a, a great theologian of our time, reminds us, this is very interesting, that the pagan religions of Paul's day, which is the context in which this book is written, taught little or nothing about personal morality. Quote, a worshiper could go bow before an idol, put his or her offering on the altar, and then go back to the same old life of sin. But what a, and what a person believed had no direct relationship with how he or her behaved. But Christianity is different because duty, your actions, is always connected to doctrine, to what you believe. See, every other idol in the world, every other religion in the world says, go do what you want to do, just make sure that you, 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 you bring your offering and make sure that you, you kind of make some sacrifices. And God says, no, 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 no. I will be number one or nothing at all. I will be number one in your life or nothing at all. I will either, you, I will either, you will completely be immersed in me or I'll have nothing to do with you. That's the way it works. Christianity, our actions, is connected to what we believe. And Paul then goes in and makes a list of these sins that we should rid ourselves of. So I'm going to walk through this. First of all, sexual immorality. This term refers to any form of illicit sexual behavior, sexual relationships outside of marriage. What's interesting is, because sometimes there, there are people in this room that you think, well, pornography is not sexual, a sexual relationship. Well, actually, the Greek word that's used here for sexual immorality is the exact word that we use in the American language for pornography. See, the problem with sexual sin is it doesn't just violate God, it violates you. It's a sin against you. And when it sins against you, it doesn't just affect you, it affects other people. So pornography, sexual relationships, uh, 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 that, that type of behavior, anything that's outside of the realm and the confines of marriage between a man and a woman is considered sexual immorality. What's also interesting is, is the number one sin that Paul deals with in all of his writing is sexual immorality. What's even more interesting is that all of his books were written to Christians. So don't sit piously back in American church and go, I don't have any issues with this. If they're dealing with it in the first century, we're dealing with it in the 21st century. And again, he says you need to put that to death. Impurity. 
This is marked by a mind that's filled with sensually suggestive thoughts. It reads sex even into the most wholesome of situations. Lust. Lust seeks quick fulfillment, and it always wants more. And uh, evil desires. It's our own physical desires that are divinely given to us, but when they become evil, they're motivated by sinful nature, and they're executed for evil deeds. Paul calls greed, which is idolatry. This is a sin that's always wanting more. And in this context, it probably applied to sexual immorality. That's the reason why you can see someone, and we, we will sit in our easy chair, and we'll go, how can this person, how can this celebrity, who is married to a beautiful individual, who has all this money and all this access, how can they spend everything for, for, for this? And how can they wreck their marriage and their home for this person or for whatever? It's called greed. It's, 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 it's a human uh, condition that we have. And every single person of us, we have it. They just have enough money that it's highlighted in the press. They just have enough money that they have access to it more so than you and I do. But it's the exact same things that we deal with. You're never going to have enough money. You're never going to have enough position. You're never going to have enough nice enough car. You're never going to have a new enough home. You're never going to have enough sex. You're never going to have all of these things, all of this stuff that's building. And the only thing that satisfies is Jesus. Your problem to your sexual addiction isn't a counselor. His name is Jesus. Your problem to your marriage isn't you or some psycho. It is Jesus. Your problem to the things and, and all these situations and all the greed and all the want and all the discontent and all, all of this and all your swiping yourself happy with your credit cards isn't. It's Jesus. I don't mean to be so basic, but that's what the word says. Paul says it's these things that are wanting more and wanting more and wanting more and wanting more and becoming envious of what other people have. Anger, a continuous attitude of hatred that remains bottled up within. Rage that comes bursting out uncontrollably, usually followed up by anger. Malice is an attitude of ill will towards a person. It's, also, it's often a hidden hatred of the heart for someone else. Slander, when we destroy another person's good reputation by lies and gossip and spreading rumors. Um, Filthy language, which is crude talk or abusive words, which often filled with swearing and sexual innuendo, lying to one another, which disrupts and destroys trust and unity and tears down relationships and causes serious conflicts. Paul says, if you're doing these things, and again, he's talking to Christ followers, stop it. And you know what that word means in the Greek? Stop it. Quit. Stop. Cease and desist. And confess your sin before God and, let the, and let, God, let the God of this universe pour his grace and his mercy upon you and flow through you to live this God life. But stop it. I've never understood Christians who can, who can praise God with one, mouth, with, one, with, with one mouth and just curse with the other. Who can, who can praise God with, 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 with in, one, in one vein and then tear down somebody else in the other. I don't understand it. I, I don't get it. It's called sin, and it'll keep you from God, and it'll prevent your prayers from being heard from heaven. It doesn't matter who you're talking about or what you're talking about. If you're lying, filthy language, slander, malice, anger, rage, greed, evil desires, lust, impurity, sexual immorality, it will keep you from seeing God. And I'm not trying to be some cosmic killjoy. I'm not trying to hang you over, over hell by a thread, and I'm not trying to have brimstone preaching. I'm just saying this is what it says. You don't like it, email Paul at, Paul at, at hotmail.com. I, I didn't write it, but he wrote it. But he says, this is true. We've got to put this stuff to, to an end and become dead to sin. Wrapping this up, he says in verses 7 through 10, we've got to be enrolled in continuing education. Enrolled in continuing education. Understand that this walk in Jesus Christ is a process. It's a marathon, not a 100-yard dash. 
none of us are perfect. And none of us are. And you're going to blow it, and you're going to miss it, but just remember that it's struggle that produces strength. It's a process. I'm not your judge. He is. No one in this room is your judge. He is. You are not my judge. Oh, yeah, well, the Bible says that we should be accountable to brothers. You are not my judge. I can say it here. We can take it to the parking lot, and I can say it to you. We're not each other's judges. Amen. He is. We're all beggars just trying to get through this world. We're all people trying to serve God. We're all people. And, and, and can I say this? We should have an uncommon amount of grace on each other. We shouldn't look at each other with condescending, consensus attitudes that, 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 that like a Salem witch trial that just want to sentence people to death. We should be loving and embracing. And as Paul told the church in Galatia who were hard-nosed, he said, you need to restore your brothers gently. That's our responsibility. And understand, this is a process. Understand that if I see one instance in your life, there, there are, 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 are consequences for sin. I don't mean, mean to take light of sin. But you're not judged over one moment. You're judged over the process of this, of this relationship with Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, he says, Make sure that you build bridges, not walls. As you grow in Jesus... As you grow in Jesus, don't become judgmental and elitist and legalistic. Don't begin to focus on your differences. See, those are all contrasts of what was different in that day and that time. Because there were people that were arguing, does the gospel, is it for the Gentiles? Is it for the Greeks? Or is it just for the Jews? There were people that were saying, do we keep the Old Testament law, i.e. circumcision? Or is it okay if you're uncircumcised? Is, is, is there a difference between someone who's free and someone who's a slave? Is there a difference between someone that's, that, that's a man and, and someone that's a woman? And I, I mean, as you're, if you're reading ahead in Colossians at all, you know in, in two weeks I'm going to get to the whole wife, submit yourself to your husbands. We're going there. Woo, it's going to be good. Because Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul did more for the equality of women in a right relationship than anybody else on this planet. And the Bible gets dogged on the subject. That there's equal in value but different in function. And that's the way God designed it to be. That a husband and the two become one and together. And, and, and so Paul says, quit looking at your differences. Now again, being raised in the South, I'm very cognitively aware in the South that, that uh, we are stereotypically um, colored as people that are uh, prejudiced. Boy, prejudice runs deep in the South. And, and I, would, I would agree with that. But in the South, you're taught that it doesn't exist in the North. And after living here seven years, I would tell you it's alive and well. There's, a, there's, a, there's as many prejudicial bigots that live in the North of the Mason-Dixon that there are in the South. Because we're people. And something about us makes us want to, want to define ourselves on our differences instead of on what we agree with. Do you know that we agree on more things than what we have differences on? Do you realize that the churches in this community agree on more than what we differ on? Do you realize that we basically got to get to the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He was humanity, uh, divinity wrapped in humanity, 100% God, 100% man, born of a virgin, lived his son's life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again. That's salvation. Everything else... 
We can conjecture on. But we agree on that kernel of truth, and that's what we should be focused on. And Paul says, quit griping. Quit bringing walls up. Begin to build bridges and be known for that. Because all this stuff, all the do's are about relationship. That's what I love about following Jesus. It's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. All I have to do is be focused on him. And when I'm focused on him, all these things will be added unto me. When I have a right vertical relationship with him, everything else comes together. Here's how we're going to end today. We're going to take a few moments. You can put your notes in your Bible. You shut your Bible. Put it on your seat next to you or under your seat. Here's what I want to do. We're not going to be crazy long. But what we're going to do, the band's going to make their way out here in just a minute. And as they do, I'm going to give you an opportunity to move from your seat to come to some place in the front and find a place of prayer. So I would kind of reserve the, the front today. Because here's the deal is, I'm not your God. I know you know that. I'm not your judge. I know you know that. He is. And, and in a moment, God can do more in your life in a moment than any amount of me preaching or talking about this can do or us singing about this can do in a lifetime. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. So you can move from your seat, come to the front, and just say, Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life. I give you my life today. Maybe you're battling with, with one of those judgmental, elitist, or legalistic attitudes, and you're just a crusty Christian. Because I kind of ticked you off in the first part of the message. You probably should come to the front. That wasn't indigestion. That's the Holy Spirit. And make a, make, make a place to come. Maybe you're dealing with, you're trying, you're, it's not that you're bad. You're just trying to do this, live this God life out in yourself. And you go, I'm just coming to the end of me. And I'm gonna, I, I love Jesus and I have a relationship with him. But, but I'm just going to cast my cares on God today and let his power come through me. I'm just going to focus. Maybe you're too focused on, on internal and temporal things. You need to focus on the eternal. Maybe one of those sins that Paul lines out, you're dealing with. You need whatever it may be to come to the altar and just come and find a place of prayer and here's what I think what happens what you're going to find when you come here is that God the Father is going to be here I'll never forget being 16 years of age in our family we had a uh, 98 Oldsmobile for those of you that were kids of the 80's remember those they were huge they were like portable recreation rooms on wheels right huge you could put like 20 teenagers in there and I, and I took the 98 Olds, my mother's car, and took it to basically the Pizza Hut in town and backed into the sign. You know what I'm talking The big lit sign, the pole, the whole deal, the back bumpers. And I act like I didn't do anything. Like I just put it back in the garage. I know you've never done anything like that before. And the next morning, my dad is sitting in his chair and he's got the, the paper. And I come walking by, and I know that he knows that he knows that I know, but I don't want to know if I want to tell him that I know that he knows that he knows that I know. And if I have to say what he knows that I know, then it made me feel me. I just don't really know if I want to go where the, you know what I'm talking about? I said, Dad, he never moves the paper. Yep. I need to talk to you. Yep. <laughs> I've got something I need to say to you. And he flips down just the corner and says, I know, and pops it back up. And I told him, I said, like yesterday when I meant to pick Austin up, that's my younger brother, uh, I took the car and I backed into the 
Pizza Hut sign, and uh, I'll fix it. And he said, flips it down, says, I know, and pops it back up. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, and I just want to do that. I just want to come clean on that. He folds the paper up and takes his glasses off and looks at me and says, I've known this. I'm just glad that you were man enough to come tell me. And we'll fix it, and you'll pay for it, but we'll fix it, <laughs> and it's going to be okay. But thank you for coming to me, not me coming to you. And it was like everything was clear. The air was clear. Everything was clear. It was all good. That's what's going to happen today. Because there's some junk that you're dealing with. There's some weight or condemnation that you're, maybe you're not doing anything wrong. You're dealing with weight and condemnation. And that we're going to take a few minutes for you to come and just spend some time in prayer. Now, if you're a brand new guest, you want to sit in your seat, you're totally welcome to do that. Nobody's going to ask you to move. You know, when I was raised in church at this point, the pastor, somebody would began to play on the Hammond B. organ with a Leslie speaker. Mm, be just, they would play just as I am. I come. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. The pastor would say, yes, sister, I see the hand. Brother, I know the deal you're laughing with. You're, yeah, and they, the church I grew up in, they began, to, um, they began to call out your sin. So you came to the altar real fast because you don't want to let everybody know what's going on, right? And he would start with, with the worst sin you could think about, and then he would just keep going down. So finally he just said, okay, if you had a hangnail this week, let Jesus fix it, right? That's what we call the all call. That's what we're going to do today. I just encourage you because change of place plus change of pace equals change of perspective. Something happens when you move from where you are and you just come and you just say, God, I'm talking to you and I'm giving it to you. Father.